You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Josh, uh, and I get a, the great privilege of bringing a, a message to you guys today. Um, and uh, if it's bad, you should come back next week because somebody else is going to be teaching. That's completely acceptable. Uh, I'm just one of the teachers here. Uh, we believe in a plurality of voices, and so we try to get as many people up here as we can uh, to open up God's Word together and to have a time of being in His Word together. But I'm really excited to be able to bring this message today because it's something that's been on my heart uh, for over a year now, uh, and I've been really praying and asking God when, uh, when He wanted me to, to share this. Uh, and then as Easter approached, I began to pray and ask God what it is that He wanted us to, to say this morning. What is it about the cross and the resurrection that He really wanted us to focus on? And so He's really placed on my heart this idea of a revolution and what it means to be a part of a revolution. So 500 years. 500 years is about how long it takes for the church to become completely dysfunctional. It's happened over and over again throughout history. For Christianity uh, and the Protestants, it happened about 500 years ago during the Great Reformation. This is something we're pretty familiar with. I remember we talked about it quite a bit here at Red Sea last year. Well, then when you go back 500 years before that, you have this thing called the Great Schism that happened in the Catholic Church when it was split between East and West. Then you go back 500 years before that, and you have Pope Gregory the Great helping bring the church out of the Dark Ages. Well, then 500 years before that, the true revolution began. When Jesus Christ came, and He died, and He was risen. Well, It's been 500 years. So what's that mean? It means that we are on the cusp of another Reformation. I believe here in the U.S., particularly in American Christianity. Now this is going to be a really difficult season for the church here in the U.S. Heresy is going to rise up left and right. This happens all the time during a Reformation, false teaching Uh, The Bible is going to begin to be reinterpreted. It'll be a challenging time. But one of the many difficult things that happens during a Reformation is the church has to once again find its place inside of the dominant culture. This happened over and over again over the last 2,000 years. See, once upon a time in America, the majority of the population shared some type of Christian values. Those of you who are uh, older in the room or are seniors in the room, uh, you guys remember those times when the average American was uh, somewhat familiar with a a biblical faith. They believed in Jesus in some form. Uh, Attending a church of some some type in their life was a pretty big part of the culture. And even society in general held a lot of the values of the Christian culture. You could even say, I think at one time in the U.S., that God was blessing America. Well, times are changing, right? Now, one of the responses that I see uh, by Christians here in the U.S. 
during this time of change is fear. I, I see a, a lot of Christians running around like chicken little, screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. But this is not a right response to what God's doing. I see a lot of Christians turning to politics and policy to try to bring back the good old days. But the good old days are gone. American Christianity as we know it is teetering on collapse. And I say, let it fall. See, I believe we need reformation. We need to get back to the heart of what the gospel was all about, what Jesus was all about. We wandered from that. You know, Christians were never meant to be the majority. At any point in biblical history, God's people were never meant to be the majority. I'm glad the institution of religion is losing influence because Jesus did not rise from the dead for religion. He rose from the dead to start a revolution. Being pushed to the margins is the best thing could have ever happened to the church. And what will be birthed out of this movement, I believe, will be a gospel counter-revolution. It won't be about how much we're like the culture. It'll be about how much we are different from the culture. Russell Moore, in his book Onward, says this, The days ahead will probably be quite different than those faced by our parents and grandparents. We will be forced to articulate things we once assumed. That's nothing to wring our hands over. That's no call to retreat or to surrender. It's also no call to keep on doing what we've, do, what we've been doing, only at a louder volume. We may seem strange in American culture. If so, onward Christian strangers, right? See, our message is going to be increasingly freakish to the American culture. So let's, let's embrace the freakishness, right? Because I believe this freakishness that we believe is the power of God unto salvation. The church was always meant to be a countercultural movement. Now, once again, what I think is going to be birthed out of this revolution is going to be a, a purified version of what it means to be the church. A refining fire is going to sweep through our country. And what will come out of it will be a, a people, God's people, who devote themselves to God. There's no place for cultural Christianity and Christianity. I believe it's going to be a people who devote themselves for God's Word, not by reinterpreting it to meet our 21st century cultural, politically correct ideas, but God will soften our hearts to His ways. I also believe that this countercultural revolution will produce a people who push back against fallenness and injustice in the world all around us. See, we live in a world where too many children are disposed of as medical waste. Too many languish in orphanages and group homes. We live in a world where too many persons are trafficked and molested. Too many are ravaged by divorce and genocide. There's a problem when $100 million are pledged to rebuild an 800-year-old museum 
Yet millions of people are starving and diseased in Mozambique in the wake of Hurricane Ida. I bet most of us don't even know it happened. But it did. We need a revolution. Another reason that I think we're on the cusp of a revolution is because I can see a supernatural battle is being waged. I can feel it. And I know that we're on the right side of that battle because two weeks ago, a demon-possessed man showed up at the doors of this church and challenged us to come out and fight. And he threw his body against those glass doors and he beat his face and he cursed against God and his people and the gates of hell could not prevail against the glass doors of this church. There's something going on. God is working. Satan leaves you alone when you're not a threat. So what better time to get back to the heart of the Jesus revolution than on Easter Sunday? Today's the day that we get back to our roots, that we remember the revolution that was started 2,000 years ago. So let's go back. Let's remember why we call ourselves Christians, little Christs. And so I want us to do that by looking at a story that actually followed the resurrection in the Gospel of Luke. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. This is called the, the Road to Emmaus. It's a great story. I invite you guys to stand up with me. If you don't have your Bible, the words are up here on the screen. Let's hear the word of the Lord again for us today, over 2,000 years later. So that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there? In in these days? And Jesus said to them, "What, What things? And they said to him, Well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, is, is it now the third day since these things have happened? Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They they were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those people were with us, went to the tomb, and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, of slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. 
When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Uh, God, we come before you once again, and we thank you for these beautiful stories that were recorded. We know that we may not be the original audience to who they were writ- written, but we are still your people and who they were written. And today, we believe your words are as powerful and as true and as impactful as they were back then. So we would just ask that you would do the same thing to each of us in the room that you did in this story. Open our hearts to see, to see you for who you really are. We would ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys have a seat. So what I love about this story is, uh, is it takes place on a Sunday, uh, you know, a lot like, a lot like today. Uh, two people, they're, they're walking on this, this journey. We know that one of them is named Cleopas. The other is, is unnamed. I like to think it's a, a woman. Maybe it's his wife. And we know they're headed from Jerusalem to a city in Judea, and so we know it's a seven-mile walk. And so they're having this conversation along the road, Right? They're talking along with the rest of Jerusalem about this crazy thing that just happened. Of this, this guy, Jesus, he rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem. And everybody was praising him. And then, man, within a, a short time, the, the religious leaders wanted him crucified. And he died. And there was thunder and lightning. And there was panic. And, and a couple of days later, we started hearing all these rumors that he was, a, he was alive and he was walking around. So they're having this conversation, Right? And Jesus just like wanders up. I love this. He, he just comes walking up next to him on the road. Now we know that he does some type of a, a miraculous deed to, to hide their eyes, right? So they wouldn't see who he was. But he walks up and he joins them. And I love that Jesus just kind of like plays along with the conversation. You know? He walks up and says, he looks at them and they're, they're kind of sad. You know, and he's like, who died? And they're like, how can you not, how can you not know? Like, you've got to be the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know this thing that just happened. Everyone's talking about this guy who died and was resurrected. So Jesus kind of plays along in verse 19. He says, okay, um, so, so what things? T- tell me what happened. We see it here in verse 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Look at this in verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So what is their preconceived of who Jesus is? He's a man that said some powerful things, sure, he's a, he's a prophet, right? But it, it, it had to have been so much more than that that he said. 
So they struggled with the same struggle that I think humanity has always struggled with. Who is God and what does it mean to follow him? They rightly call him a prophet because they had heard the stories, but they thought that Jesus was going to come and lead some rebellion against the Romans. They thought Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. And when it didn't happen, and not only that, when he died, they were shocked. See, it's the same surprise that I see on my Christian brothers' and sisters' faces when Christians lose influence in this culture. See, Jesus did not come and die so that we could have our best life now. He did not come and die so that that we could rule on earth. He came to usher in another kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. See, there's a self-centeredness that I've been thinking a lot about in my own life. And just the, the journey that I've walked with God over the last 30 years. And I, and I think this, there's a, a self-centered misunderstanding of the gospel that has crept into the church and has distorted what it means to be the people of God. These people in the story display it. I think at the heart of the problem with the church and why it needs reform is a misunderstanding of the gospel. Here's the problem, okay? Listen up, please. If you don't hear anything, please hear this. Many people believe that Jesus came to earth so that they could go to heaven. Jesus is my ticket to heaven. See, I became a a Christian at age 10. Why? Because I didn't want to go to hell. Right? Guys, remember back in the 80s? My youth pastor was showing those crazy, like, return when Jesus returns videos they were called like thunder and lightning or something like that and people are like getting their heads guillotined off anybody scared the crap out of me man I was like I don't want that so I lived much of my Christian life believing the gospel was my ticket to escape it's not The gospel is the message that we need rescue. The big difference between those two things. I'm going to say it again. Many Christians live their life believing the gospel is their ticket to escape. But the gospel is the message that you need rescue and Jesus rescued you. See, one of those produces a selfishness and the other produces gratitude. One makes you entitled and the other makes you humble. When Jesus, or when you believe that Jesus died so that you could go to heaven, you start seeing the church, I believe, kind of like a doctor's visit. I had to go to the doctor recently. We switched insurance. I hate going to the doctor. I just hate it. It's uncomfortable. It's invasive. Especially as you get older. (laughs) It's expensive. I always leave feeling bad about myself. You could lose a little weight. Thank you. Thank you, doctor. But you know why I do it? I do it once a year because I'm supposed to. Go to the doctor, get my checkup. Man. Is that what today is for many of us? Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to go to church. 
It's like going to the doctor, right? But here's the problem. If you think that's what it means, what church is all about, this thing that you just show up and do, it's like going to the doctor for a routine checkup and finding out you have a much, ba- you have a much worse problem. It's like going just to say, hey, doc, how, how are things going? And, and he looks and he, you know, he, he fills that, that lump. And he says, oh, yeah, you got a problem. Today, many of us do have a problem. There's something inside that's eating you up. And it's not producing life. It's not producing joy. It's producing anxiety. It's producing worry. It's producing fear. That's not the gospel. So we're believing something else. Then in verse 25, I want you guys to look at at what Jesus says here. You can just leave, leave it there, Nate. It's fine. Verse 25, Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I wonder what they thought about being called foolish. Who's this guy think he is? Calling me foolish because of what I believe. But what the cool thing is, Jesus then takes the time, and I believe it was a significant amount of time, to unpack the meta narrative of God, the, the story of God. He doesn't say, let me explain substitutionary atonement to you guys real quick. He goes, no, let's go back to this grand story of redemption, this work that God is doing. And I bet he told a story that sounds a little bit like this one we're about to watch. Let's check it out. Garden, the, and it starts telling you his kind of story. It says that if you eat a 
bad, they run the nation of Israel right into the ground. And the big bad empire of Babylon just takes them out. And so now there are no more kings to even fulfill this prophecy. So it seems like the whole plan is lost. But during these dark days, there's this crazy group of guys called prophets. And they kept talking about this coming king and reminding us of the promise that he'll come and defeat evil, he'll restore the darkness. Now, one specific prophet, Isaiah, he tells us more about why this king is different. Isaiah says that the promised king receives this wound because of humanity's evil and that it kills them. But then all of a sudden he comes back, and Isaiah says it's because he suffered this wound that he can now become a source of healing to other people. But the Old Testament ends, and the snake-crushing king that everyone's been talking about never shows up. And this is why, when the New Testament begins, it introduces us to Jesus of That's a much better story than Jesus died so that I could go to heaven. That's what we're a part of. That's what it means to be a Christian and to be the people of God. See, these, this couple on the road to Emmaus, they were just struggling with the implications of what Christ had done. Because something actually happened in the world of space and time and matter 2,000 years ago that resulted in everything being different. By 6 o'clock on Friday evening that Jesus had died, something had radically changed. Heaven and earth had been brought together. God was reconciling the world to Himself through Jesus and making a people for His own possession. Jesus' miraculous work on the cross paid the penalty that we all deserve that that story talked about. But he rose from the dead so that we could have life. And I want to live. Me getting to go to heaven is like the very end of the story. The Bible is kind of vague about that whole thing for a reason. And maybe we spend way too much time talking about it. Wright, in his book, The Day the Revolution Began, says, According to that original revolution, rescued humans are set free to be what they were made to be. 
Ooh, I love that. Forgiveness achieved through God's Son, which was Him giving Himself for our sins, it's the key to the victory. Sin matters. And forgiveness of sin matters. But they matter because sin flowing from idolatry corrupts, distorts, disables our image-bearing vocation. Right? That's so much more than let's get ready for heaven. The word used in the New Testament to describe sin, uh, in the Greek it means missing the mark. Okay? So it's, a, it's an archery term. Any archers in the room? Sounds like the next hipster thing to do. I, uh, I got to go to a, an archery competition uh, not too long ago. It's my nieces. It's pretty cool. Never been to one before. I had no idea what to expect. So we're, we're in this gymnasium, and the bleachers are just packed full of people, and you know it's all rowdy and talking. There's all these targets lined up. And so they, they call for quiet, and the room gets real quiet, right? And then they blow the whistle, and it's the most unique sound I've ever heard in my life. Right? You've got like 25 kids that are just shooting arrows. But it was interesting. Every once in a while, you'd hear a clack, 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 as this arrow would like miss the mark. Boing! You know, it goes shooting off. I'll never forget that moment because it made me think about, about sin as, as, as missing the mark. I was made for a purpose. It's to, it's to hit the mark. And I am distorted, but Jesus, through the resurrection, has given me the power to hit the mark. So it matters now how I live. So as the story goes, the, the couple, they get to the village, and they ask this stranger, hey man, it's getting late. You're obviously somebody important. You just said some pretty powerful truths to us. Why don't, why don't you come in? So Jesus joins them for dinner. In verse 32, they all sit down together. Jesus breaks the bread, right? And then what happens? He blesses it, and it says their, their eyes were opened. And he disappears just like that. I love, I love their response here. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the Scriptures? I believe today, God is, is burning within some of our hearts. I believe there's, there's, there's some people in here who can, who can feel that stirring of God, saying, you know what, I was meant for so much more. I'm tired of the nine to five, man. Jesus did not rise from the grave so that I could have a 401k. He did not rise from the grave so that my kid could be a sports superstar. He rose from the grave so that we could live life the way that God intended us as His children. And you have an opportunity today to live that way. If your heart is burning within you for something more, it's because God's calling you into His revolution. Well, what's it going to look like? What's it going to be a part of this this Jesus revolution? What's the church going to look like? What Jesus always said it was supposed to be. The revolution 
was about loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's about an intimate relationship with God. That's what what the church is meant to be, the people of God. Having a relationship with God is not meant to be a performance. It's not meant to be a duty. It's about talking to God, being in relationship with Him. We've been praying in this church since the beginning of the year for a revival. And I can see it happening. Many of you guys are here today because God put something in your heart to come and be a part of of this, of His people. We've been praying for that. We're going to start a series next week on the power of prayer. We're not going to teach you guys how to pray. We're going to teach you guys to be bold in prayer. Because if God's going to do a revolution, it's going to come from His people asking Him and calling out to Him to do something. So come back, be a part of that. After that, we're going to get back to the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to walk through the Ten Commandments. Those seem to be a pretty big deal to God. But I bet half of us couldn't even say half of them. We need a revolution. But our our revolution isn't just going to be about our relationship with God. It's going to be about our relationship with one another. See, revolutions always start with a ragtag group of followers. And there's nothing more ragtag than us, right? I ain't ashamed. That's how they always started. Jesus' revolution, when he lived, was about being with other people. Not as individuals, but as this radical community called the church. I love it when Chris talks about what it means to be this radical community, to genuinely love to not live our little autonomous families, but being part of God's family who does what God did for us. We sacrifice for one another. We love one another. We submit to one another. We carry one another's burdens. If you want to be a part of that, that's who we are. And that's who we're going to be. If you don't, that's cool. There's a lot of churches out there. But we are a group of people who love one another and want to walk in relationship with one another. We do it imperfectly. But we're going to do it because that's what it means to be the people of God. But Jesus' revolution just wasn't about a relationship with God. It wasn't about a relationship inside of this church. It was about going out and advancing the mission of God with justice and mercy into the world. And we need a revolution in that too. We've started to feel that. We've started to see it. But it's going to happen when God starts laying on our hearts these, these, these causes of justice and mercy. I love the work that we're doing in Africa. I see Jamie and, and Joanne sitting over here. I love this work that God has stirred and, and, and some of our hearts for that. But I believe that God wants to do so much more. There are too many orphans. There are too many people being trafficked. And as God places this, this on my heart, I want to lead us in that and say, what does it mean to be the people of God in Portland and to work for the sake of justice and mercy. When you realize that you've received rescue, you go out as God's rescuers. You go out extending that same grace that's been given to you. Man, let's do a revolution. Okay, guys ready? Now it's time for you to make a decision. Are you going to spectate 
Are you going to join? Are you going to be a part of the team? Be a part of this revolution? If God's stirring in your heart to be a part of the revolution, what I invite you to do now as we worship is to come and receive communion. Communion is is, uh, God's people. It's their regular reminder of what was done for them. That as we approach these tables and we take the bread and the juice, we remember, I needed rescue. And Jesus rescued me. The bread is His body, the blood. The wine is His blood. The price was paid. And now we go forth. Come, Lord Jesus. You guys ready for a revolution? Okay, let's do this together. Let's pray, let's worship, and let's go. Join me in prayer. Father, we come before you now, and uh, thank you. Uh, we, those of us in this room who, who, uh, who have received your grace, that who believe that you died for us, just as that video said, that we had a problem in our hearts and you came and you paid that penalty. We come before you as a, as a people who are so gracious that we've been invited in to be a part of your family. But Father, we also come before you and we repent. Repent for settling for something less. Repent for missing it like those two people did on the road. Thinking that You came so that we could live our best life now. Instead, that you came to start a revolution that would forever change the way that your creation interacted with you. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit to be able to leave this place and to be empowered to go as your ambassadors. Use us powerfully for your glory, Father. We want to be a part of what you're doing. We believe that you've given us those Everything that we would need to do that. Fill us, Father. Use us for your glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for raising from the grave. Thank you that now we can live the way that you always intended us to live. We can be redeemed image bearers, representing your kingdom. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.